Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. So for many people, the TV event of the weekend was the Eurosong on Friday evening, selecting the latest Irish Eurovision entry. We've only had one qualification for the final in the last 10 attempts, which is a sad record for a country which shares the most ever wins with Sweden on seven. So the decision was made by by the juries, and there were three different juries of last Friday night's show to award the right to represent Ireland to Bambi Thug. So let's hear them. Let's hear a little bit of Doomsday Blue. Okay, Joe Shane Elaine Burke with us. And Elaine, you're the big Eurovision fan. So that may be, by the sounds of it, the most unusual Irish entry since Dustin the Turkey, but certainly a far more interesting one. Uh, in full, how does it sound? And also, given that the Eurovision is as much about the visuals on stage, how does it look and how well is it likely to do? Well, how it looks in the late, late Euro selection uh, format will be different than the big staging you get at the actual Eurovision. But Bambi Thug really did a great job with the limitations of that small stage. They've got a really impactful look, like you're only hearing uh, the performance there, but there's also the look and feel to it as well. And Bambi Thug is definitely memorable looking. They've got this kind of gothy Celticness about them. Uh, I think the song is a great choice for Ireland. It was my top choice on the night. Uh, I really thought their performance absolutely sold it for me. And like I said, that's with a limited scope that we have in that RT staging. And I think if we put enough behind the staging for the Eurovision, this could be a real contender. And what I'd just like to see is for Ireland to get to the final. Like you said, we've only qualified. Uh, once in the last 10 attempts for the final and uh, it's about time that we got back in contention, I think. Okay, but, but tell us about the way it was selected. Tell us about the three jury setup. So you have an international panel, you have uh, an Irish panel of experts and then you have the audience vote. Um, so the, the international panel, I think, uh, were trying to sabotage us because they wanted to send a boy band, which nothing against that boy band song. I just don't think it's going to stand out among 26 acts because it's a little bit of things that you've seen before. And the thing about Eurovision is you have three minutes to make an impact among 26 songs. So you do have to be impactful and memorable. That's key to actually performing well at it. Um, so that was the international panel's favourite. I believe the 
audience vote and the Irish panel both went for Bambi Talk. And then there was like a panel of Eurovision fans in studio with Patrick Keelty, uh, Gerald Farrelly, Arthur Garulian were part of that panel. Sonia, uh, the Liverpool songstress who came second to Neve Kavanagh, uh, was also there. And they all really favoured uh, Bambi Talk as well. So the, it was a clear winner, I think, on the night. It definitely among the Eurovision aficionados and uh, all the fandoms that I'm aware of are big God, fans. It's, it's not getting a good reaction in the text messages that are coming into zero. 0874100102 one says that isn't a song it's horrendous another one says that's embarrassing rubbish uh, nobody well, uh, Eurovision fans though do you know what I mean like I'm a Eurovision fan and I know that this is the kind of thing that will work um, and not everyone's a Eurovision fan not everyone's into the kind of music that comes out of Eurovision that's fine keep it to yourself Okay, uh, Joe Shea uh, tell us a little bit more about Bambi Thug who like us uh, days from Cork yeah, it's, it's almost as if somebody said, what if Marilyn Manson was from McCroom? Uh, <laughs> so, um, but Bambi Thug, very interesting because they, they went actually originally a very, very talented dancer and went to London to study dance, broke uh, their arm and ended up kind of kind of moving sideways into into musical theatre, into performance. And, you know, I think Elaine Tushin, this is very going to be very important because Bambi Thug knows this as well and has actually said it, that it, a lot of this is going to depend on how it's staged, whether uh, they get the resources that you need and, and actually the big production. Because I think what this reminds me of is the most impactful song from last year, which was uh, Karija from Finland with Cha Cha Cha. And Cha 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 was not in any, you know, it was not a hummable tune or anything like that. But the, the performance and the staging was fantastic. So I think actually, you know, this is the year that Ireland has finally said, right, if we can't beat them, we'll join them. And we're, we've, we're sending a, a Eurovision song and hopefully Bambi Thug can do it for Cork and do it for Ireland. OK, but I wonder how they're going to feel about the attention being focused on them yeah. because Bambi Thug has been, I think, subjected to quite a, uh, an amount of online abuse since yeah, they won. It, it started, I mean, it started almost me. It started with the Late Late Show because I think what you're getting is a lot of people who, you know, wouldn't really be familiar with this type of music, with this type of persona, um, with, you know, somebody who says they're non-binary, uh, is very much in the LGBT, TQ kind of arena and yeah I mean I, I was seeing it myself on Twitter and it's, some of it was you know some of it was dumb some of it was hateful a lot of it was hurtful and it was quite a lot of it was disgusting as well but that's just the way the world we live in today and Bambi Thug actually came out and, and issued a very I think strong statement and said listen you know I'm, I'm not making anybody love my music or listen to my music or follow my music and asking people to have a bit of compassion and, um, you know, not be mad at something that they may not understand because it, whatever you think of the look or the, or the song, I mean, it, it, obviously this is a very heartfelt kind of self-created look and sound. So you've got to give Bambi Thug kind of credit for that. And, and as I said... This could do really well for us at the Eurovision, maybe better than any Irish song has done in 10 years. Yeah, what does it say about a small group, but a vocal group, Elaine, that Bambi Thug is taking this type of abuse? I think it says a lot about how our selection process takes place. Like, Eurovision fans and Late Late fans probably don't have a massive overlap. I watch the Eurovision practically religiously. I don't do that with the Late Late Show. I do watch it when it's doing the Euro song selection. And you kind of see that as well with um, the, the, the songs that might perform well that we've sent before that are kind of more from that prior era of uh, kind of 
cut 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 and copy pop songs. That's kind of not going to cut it at Eurovision. Loreen definitely won with a, a proper pop song last year, but Loreen is also a known entity in the Eurovision space, so she kind of came with a credit and a credibility and uh, familiarity to the fandom as well. So that absolutely helped her. Caria, what that the act that uh, Joe mentioned was second place. Lots of people who saw Caria's act who weren't into Eurovision didn't get it and uh, definitely directed a lot of criticism toward that act as well. It's people who get wind of this thing that's happening that they're not actually part of and they decide to pass judgment on it. But the people within Eurovision, massively big fans of Carrier, massive fans of Daddy Freyer and massive fans of Bambi Tug. Uh, some positive text messages. Bambi Tug, best choice for years. We tried everything else. Let's give Eurovision audiences what they want. Brilliant stuff will be amazing on the big stage. Ireland Duspois says Cathy. And then we have Damien and Kilkenny said, the staging this year by RT was far better than recent years and it was used very well by Bambi Tug and gave a great insight into how it could be staged on a far bigger stage. It's interesting and fresh and we need to stand out. Anyone giving out should have voted themselves. RT in the Late Late Show deserves credit for changing the studio and devoting more of it to staging this year. Which does, Joe, briefly raise the question of I wonder how much money will RT be able to afford to spend at the Eurovision to give the song and the artist the chance they deserve? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a crucial question. They can't just give, like, two guys with flashlights, you know. I mean, it's got to be, they've really got to go big on this now because this is a good chance to really make an impact at the Eurovision. So I don't think anybody will begrudge any money that's spent on Ireland at the Eurovision this year. John, just something else. Uh, sorry, uh, Joe. Uh, John Stewart returning to The Daily Show because we spoke last year about him leaving Apple where he had done this interesting documentary series. But how significant could it be that one of the sharpest satirists on American television is going back on the networks during the US 2024 election season. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious why he's coming back in this year in particular. I mean, the Apple stuff was great, but he, he said himself he didn't know how many people actually saw that, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't sure how much of an impact he was having. He kind of went for the more long-form kind of thing with Apple, and he did these kind of in-depth interviews. And one famous one with a, a, a Republican politician, a gun advocate, who he absolutely tied up in knots. And I think a lot of people saw that, but they only saw it kind of clips in social media. Trevor Noah has been good on the, uh, on the Daily Show, but they have, they've struggled. They've spent a year trying to find a replacement for Trevor Trevor Noah, who replaced John Stewart. John Stewart is the best by a mile in America at this sort of thing. He, he made the Daily Show kind of required viewing, you know, right through the kind of, uh, you know, over the past decade and, and before he left. It's big news that he's coming back for the, uh, for, for the presidential election. It's not going to, you know, change any minds or, or get votes for Biden or whatever like that, but it's great to see him back and I think it's going to be, the, the, it's going to be required viewing again. Okay, um, what's your pick of the week, Elaine, please? Uh, mine is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which arrives on Prime Video from Friday. Hold on, and wasn't that a movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? It was, back in 2005. Now, and Brad it wasn't Pitt that Angelina good a movie either. You know. No, it was quite a flop. I think the biggest news out of that film was the fact that they got together on set. Um, and it is taking that premise of a spy couple. Like, like they're a pretend couple, because apparently couples don't flag on the radar when people are looking out for spies. Um, but what we have in the recasting for the TV show is Donald Glover and Maya Erskine in the lead roles. Donald Glover might be known to people. He played, um, the, is it Young Boba Fett in the Star Wars uh, reboot series? And uh, Maya Erskine is probably a bit of a more unknown entity. She's a cult phenomenon for me because she created co-created this show called Pen15. I think she's got this really 
good sense of comedic timing and there's definitely going to be some comedic elements to this iteration of Mr. and Mrs. Smith but with lots of spy caper stuff going on and a bit of kind of romance and intrigue and chemistry between these two characters as well and I didn't like this film I didn't like the idea of it getting a TV reboot but seeing what they've done with it and the previews of it I'm actually quite excited to watch it Okay, that's it What are you going for, Joe? This is a bit of a heavy one but tonight on BBC Two at 9pm it's Putin versus the West uh, at war. And basically, this is sort of the latest iteration. Uh, Norma Percy, the very famous documentary maker who's always focused on huge themes of war and peace and, and destruction, most famously with the absolutely brilliant death of Yugoslavia, which was one of the most amazing documentaries ever made, documentary series ever made. She's been looking at Putin since 2012. She's been chronicling Putin and the rise of his regime in Russia and this gangster regime that he runs. And tonight, uh, it's the first of a new uh, part, a, a new part of, the, of that series, that ongoing series, where she looks at the first night, the first days of the war and, and leading up to it, of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia uh, nearly uh, two years ago. We're coming up on the anniversary now. And she has got uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, the UN ambassadors, the generals who involved, the people who actually ma- you know, manned the defence as the Russians were pouring in. I think this is going to be fascinating, very timely as we get this kind of Ukraine fatigue going on as well. So it's Putin versus the West at war, 9pm, BBC Two tonight. Thank you very much, Joe Shea and Elaine Burke for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.